Hello and welcome to the MDS podcast, the podcast channel of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society. I am Tiago Teiro, professor at the University Medical Center Göttingen in Germany, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Professor Jian Feng from State University of New York at Buffalo in the US, and we will talk about a recent study he co-authored together with Dr. Baorong Zhang from the College of Medicine in Zhejiang University in China. Their recent study was entitled Parkin Maintains Robust Pacemaking in Human-Induced Pluripotent Stem Cell-Derived A9 Dopaminergic Neurons. So although familial forms of Parkinson's disease account for a small percentage of Parkinson's cases, learning about the normal function of the various proteins linked to these forms of Parkinson's is extremely important, and therefore we thought this study really adds to our understanding of the function of Parkin. So welcome, Professor Feng. It's a pleasure hosting you here in the podcast. Let's dive right into it. And can you please tell us briefly about the study that you just recently published? Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. It's a great honor to introduce you to the study that we recently have published in movement disorders. So basically, this study was to try to establish whether the mutation of Parkin is causal and necessary for some phenotypes in the IPS-derived A9 dopaminergic neurons from human subjects. So from many decades of painstaking work, people have realized that you have certain forms of Parkinson's disease that can be caused by mutation of a single gene. So one of the very clear examples is Parkin. So we have been studying this gene for the past 23 years. Basically, the field has known that there's a lot of evidence that when you have Parkin mutation, you have Parkinson's disease in human, right? But you cannot really establish the causal relationship, say, is the mutation really necessary and sufficient? Is the phenotype caused entirely by Parkin mutation, not by anything else in the genetic background? So this can be established in a dish in the IPS drive of these A9 dopaminergic neurons. So we have developed a method to differentiate the human-induced pluripotent stem cells into the A9 dopaminergic neurons, which are specific loss in Parkinson's disease. We know that these neurons are very unique in that they're actually pacemakers. They're sort of like pacemakers in the heart. Basically, their job is to constantly release dopamine. And when there is a need to start movement, the release becomes even more. You have these tonal firing, which is supposed to be constant. And then you have these facing firing, which is supposed to be related to the initiation of movement. The exact nature is not quite clear. But what we know for sure is that these functions are very critical for the movement, for the function of these A9 dopaminergic neuron. Let me just interject here to ask you. So we hear a lot about IPS cells at the moment, and we hear about people differentiating them into dopaminergic neurons. But here, you're actually a lot more specific. So you differentiated IPS cells into A9 dopaminergic neurons. So what are the challenges in generating such specific populations of neurons in culture? Yeah, so this really has been built on probably at least two decades of work. So this is like the third generation of differentiation protocol. In the beginning, people do not really understand too much about the development of these neurons through studies contributed by many, many labs in the field. We now actually know that these neurons are very unique and they have a special developmental trajectory. So utilizing this information, we are able to generate the particular subtypes 
of these membrane to brain neuron. As some of the listeners may know, there are many types of dopamine neurons in the brain. Even in the midbrain, there are at least three types, the A8, A9, and A10. They project to very different area. They control very different functions. The type that is lost in Parkinson's is mostly the A9. So these neurons, they reside in the sufficient Niagara, and then they project a very long axon to the caudiputamen. So that's the challenge. And we were able to develop a way to differentiate human-induced pluripotent stem cells, which is the iPS cells, into the A9 dopaminergic neurons. Yeah, I was really excited about this because usually in the studies, we don't hear people going this far and generating such specific populations of neurons. So this is really interesting. And in your study, you used two different methods to generate isogenic lines. So can you explain why this was important? And how challenging were the procedures you used to generate the isogenic lines? Yeah. So this actually has been a multi-year effort. So we actually started when there was no CRISPR. There was only talent. So it has been a long journey for us. So first, we have to repair the exon 3 mutation in a homozygously mutated subject. So this is a patient who has two copies of her Parkinson mutated. So she lost the axon 3 of both her copies of the Parkinson gene. So in order to say that the loss is actually causing her phenotypes, we have to repair it, and we have to repair both copies, right? So at that time, there was only talents. So this is an older generation of genomic modification technique where you can do homotopous recombination to repair any genetic defects by introducing a double-stranded cut in the DNA, and that will increase the recombination rate dramatically. So we tried that, and we spent a lot of effort, and then we finally are able to generate the repair. So while we're doing that, the CRISPR technology came online. It was such a relief. It's much easier to introduce mutation, particularly if you want to do the point mutation. So then we say that to convince our colleagues we want to do the reverse way by introducing a point mutation of parking that is found in Parkinson's disease patients. It was the A2E point mutation, changing aniline into glutamic acid. So we want to introduce this mutation to a normal iPS cell. This is iPS cell derived from a normal subject. We are able to use CRISPR to precisely introduce mutation to two copies of the Parkinson's gene. So it's a homozygous introduction of mutation. Now we have basically two pairs. These are the isogenic pair, have the exact the same background. One pair is on the background of a patient. The other is on the background of a normal subject. So with this, we are now in the position to answer, is Parkinson's mutation causal, right? If you introduce Parkinson's mutation, are you going to cause a PD phenotype, even on a normal background. So this is what we try to do. And the flip side is that if you have a PD patient uh, that has Parkinson mutation, when you repair it, would that cause the phenotype to go away? So yeah. that's precisely what this paper has found. Yeah, but I think it's really important to use multiple approaches also to avoid the unspecific effects that we know that different methods have. So I really enjoyed that you were that careful and you took advantage of different 
technologies that are, of course, evolving and now enable us to do things even more specifically. And now about the role of parking in pacemaking. I find this really interesting. So is this something you were expecting? I mean, how did you come up to the decision to look at this particular aspect? And also, how do you think parking is having such an effect? Okay, so it was totally unexpected. When we started the project, we basically know that there's some phenotype that we have already published. We want to see whether we can confirm these phenotype. These phenotypes were obviously confirmed, but because they're sort of confirmatory study, we don't feel that it will be competitive for us to try to publish them again. As you know, it's very hard to publish confirmation results. So, but at that time, the other technology that we have developed came online, which is the method to differentiate iPS cells into A9 neuron. So then we say, yeah, now we have a very strong readout. So this readout is that these neurons are pacemakers. We know through decades of work in the rodents, in animals, also the animals actually, that the pacemaking property is very important. And then I say to people in my lab, let's say, can we find out whether there's any difference in their pacemaking when we have this two pairs, four lines of IPSC derived A9 dopamine neurons? And to our surprise, there's a huge difference. So if you look at the parking deficient A9 dopamine neuron, the frequency of their action potential, of their pacemaking action potential, is much lower than if you do not have mutation. Now, we have established this both ways. So first, you look at the patient. The patient has a fairly slow, autonomous pacemaking action potential, and just like what they found in the rodent. It's really amazing that even the frequency is very similar. And then you repair the axon 3 mutation, suddenly the pacemaking frequency becomes much higher, and it's as if the neuron becomes more healthy. And then we'll say, is it real? So then we have to do it the other way. We look at the control neuron. Then the control neuron has a very robust pacemaking. And then we look at the mutant that are introduced in the control, the A82E mutation. Just change two letters, one letter in each chromosome. So this is out of six billion base pair. We just change two letters, right? And then the pacemaking frequency is significantly reduced. So that was really shocking in a way. And we also saw that the absolute value is different. So the normal cells, they have a higher pacemaking action potential, whereas the parking cases, even when the parking mutation is repaired, the pacemaking frequency is lower. We do not know what to make of this. It could be due to the genetic background. So this patient is a result of a consanguineous marriage. She has a lot of homozygosity. So maybe the homozygosity in her genome is contributing to the slower pacemaking. So I think there's still a lot of things to be studied. We don't exactly know how parking is controlling pacemaking because pacemaking itself is very complex. It is likely that many channels are involved in maintaining pacemaking because it's such a critical function, right? You can imagine. So there are many, many channels that are involved. We first need to understand better what is going on in pacemaking, particularly in the human A9 dopamine Prior to this, there's no material to even to study that. You can work on the mouse or the rat A9 dopamine but even there, we don't really know too much about it. So I think that it opens up new possibilities for the field to examine in more mechanistic detail what are responsible for pacemaking in the NIGO dopamine and how parking 
interact with these components to control robust pacemaking. Yeah, no, this is fascinating. I'm really curious to see what you'll find out about how parking is involved in controlling this pacemaking activity. And so this was looking in this A9 neuron. So if you were to look in different neuronal types or even in glial cells, would you expect to find other roles of parking in these other cell types that go beyond this particular effect in dopaminergic neurons? Yeah, sure. We actually have published a body of literature to show that parking has a variety of very critical function in the midbrain dopaminergic neuron beyond pacemaking. So we first published a paper showing that parking is actually controlling the utilization of dopamine in several ways. One is that dopamine metabolism produces a lot of reactive oxygen species, part of which is done through the MLO-mediated, so degradation of dopamine. These are done by the monoamine oxidase. So basically, you have monoamine oxidase that catalyze the oxidation of dopamine so that can be degraded. So in this process, you produce a lot of free radicals. Parking is actually suppressing the transcription of monoamine oxidase so that normally you have a very low amount of MAO in these dopaminergic neurons so that it will not cause problem. When you have parking mutation, this check is gone. So then the MAO transcript level is much, much higher. And then you produce a lot of free radicals just because these cells have to metabolize dopamine. So this is only one aspect. And we also find that parking controls the precision of dopaminergic transmission. So we have basically published several papers in this field using some older technology. And we have already re-examined this in the A9 dopamine era, and we can confirm that. As I said, the confirmatory experiments, I'm not quite sure how hard it is for us to publish it, but we do have confirmation on that. Yeah. And we intend to try to expand beyond that. As for the glials, we don't have the expertise to look into that. So that can be a very important area done by people with expertise in that side. Yeah, no, I think it'll be really nice to see your other data and then see what people do in other cell types. And so now from the perspective of the translation, so how do you see these findings helping us decide or define possible therapeutic strategies for patients with Parkinson mutations? And do you see that this could have a broader application into idiopathic forms of Parkinson's as well? So there are two components to this question. If we only focus on parking first, I see that if you, for example, treat parking cases as if it's a monogenic disease, like, for example, Huntington's disease, right? It's rare, but it's caused by mutation of one gene. Then you conceivably already has a solution, which is to repair the mutation. There are a lot of ways to actually deliver the gene. Some people have been using AAV, and a lot of biotechnology companies are trying those on other diseases. I imagine that if there's effort to develop a therapy for the parking cases, it can be very effective because we know that their problem is actually caused by mutation of a single gene. So it's causal. Right. You repair the mutation, it is very likely that it can help them a great deal. So the second part of the question is whether knowledge on parking can inform Parkinson's disease in general, the idiopathic form. I don't really know for sure. So my current thinking is that because Parkinson mostly occurs when people are already beyond their reproductive age, so there's really no selective pressure to generate Parkinson's disease. 
It's not like, for example, sickle cell anemia, right? So there's a possibility that you can have many, many ways to generate the idiopathic Parkinson's. They reflect the intrinsic vulnerability of these neurons. If that's the case, then it will be hard to translate the funding from the monogenic mutations into the idiopathic. That remains to be seen. We do not know. It's just a speculation. If there is a strong mechanism, so if the A9 dopamine neuron can only fail in so many ways, then I think there is at least some value in the study of these monogenic form. Many people believe in that. We believe in that as well. So I think that to say the least, we can try. For example, let's say if we overexpress parking in the idiopathic cases, whether it will help, that is a very useful approach. Because parking does many, many things that is very good for the dopaminergic neuron. We said that it controls reactive oxygen species. We also have another paper showing that it stabilizes microtubules. It's very important for maintaining the lung processes of these neurons. These neurons are very special in other sense that they have massive axon arborization that relies on microtubules to support the structural integrity and microtubule-based trafficking. So if you just use a single for example, a small molecule drug or even use a protein to deliver into the neuron. It may not do the whole thing, but parking already does everything that the neuron needs. So that could be a potential pathway to examine whether it's protective. Great. Yeah, I think there's hope. And of course, this new knowledge will be informative in the future. And as you and others explore things further, I'm sure we will learn more and hopefully will be in a better position to use this new knowledge to improve any possible therapies for patient use. So, Professor Feng, thank you so much. This was really nice that you could talk to us about your study. I appreciate that. And we look forward to having you in the podcast to talk more about your future studies. So, thank you. Thank you very much, Diego. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> great. Thank you. So we've just interviewed Professor Feng about the recent publication in Movement Disorders on the role of parking in pacemaking in IPS neurons. Thank you all for listening and join us in our upcoming podcasts. If you enjoyed the conversation about this paper, you can further your experience with continuing medical credits, or CMEs. You can find the link to the journal CME course for this paper within the episode description on the MDS website. Journal CME is planned and implemented in accordance with the accreditation requirements of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, ACCME. The International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society is accredited by the ACCME to provide a continuing medical education for physicians. The International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society designates this education activity for a maximum of one AMA PRA Category 1 credits. The views and opinions expressed by the participants in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the International Parkinson and Movement Disorder Society or their affiliated journals, Movement Disorders and Movement Disorders Clinical Practice. Any disclosures of the participants can be found within the episode description located on the MDS website.